as we um, take our seats, I'd like to welcome, uh, welcome you all to Ecclesia again this afternoon. Um, there's nothing quite like spending time together going through God's Word for encouragement, for direction, for instruction, for all things that God's Word indeed does um, for us. Okay. You know, there's a question just as we get started this afternoon that I've got to pose. And it's, I think, a very important question. If we're not exempt from death and hardships in life, whether or not we believe in God, how should we live? And... How do we live knowing that we only live once? Also, I mean, what what makes this an important question or these important questions to consider? You see, as we approach um, our text today and continue in the series, we've, we've captioned, is life worth living in Ecclesiastes? Um, we're going to be looking... In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 to 12, just to get some answers to these questions, or to get God's answers to these questions. Um, And as we approach the text, indeed, it feels a bit like entering into a war zone to rescue a high-value target or prisoner. Because of the approach and the manner in which the preacher actually brings up the issues that we found ourselves considering. At some points, you find yourself thinking, is this really in the Bible? I mean, one of the questions I asked just now was, if, I mean, how do we live knowing that we only live once? Out there, we hear the the, the famous uh, or popular, is it? added your acronym, YOLO, you only live once. Like, yeah, that's supposed to drive how you live. And this is in the Bible as well, it seems. Hence, by describing it as entering into a war zone with ideologies that seem, or ideas that seem like, yeah, this is not God. This is actually what the world, but it's God, it's in the Bible. What do we do? So, just to get us started, I'm going to um, ask us to just read together in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Let's see what it is we're considering. And, um, and then... No, no, no. And then... We'll see what the author is talking about, or what God's talking about, what God's saying to us in this passage. 
I'm just turning there in my Bible as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Okay. But just to get the point across. In this passage today, what we'll see the, 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 the preacher do is we'll see him talking about us all, um, the righteous and wise men, not knowing what befalls them and being in the hands of God. And he moves from there to talk about the fact that all die, regardless of whether they're righteous, whether they are regardless of who they are, what they believe, regardless of their moral or spiritual standing, we'll see him also describe the state of the dead because he moves in this manner through the, 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 to make the point he's trying to put across to us. And then also, based on all of this, comes to prescribe how we live, considering we only live once. But also comes back again to the conclusion that, look, we are all in God's hands. So for a title, if you're looking to um, put a peg on this or something to just guide, guide us and see what we're talking about, it's really living joyfully by God's grace in a passing world. Let's turn our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 as we um, look at the text. And I ask you to just turn and look in your Bibles with me, please. Come here. Reading from verse 1. And I'm reading from the um, ESV. But all this I laid to heart, examining it, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. As he who swears is, as he who swears is, and he who swears, I beg your pardon, is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. But he who is joined with all the living has... For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished forever. They have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go eat your bread with joy... And drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let no oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. 
because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. And time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Let's just have a word of prayer. Thank you again, Lord. This is your word. Um, Guide us through it. Teach us, Lord, indeed how, knowing that life is fleeting, knowing that life is passing, how indeed we may live by your grace, joyfully, in this passing and fading world. Your word says that, you know, um, all these things, the world and everything in it fades away, but your word endures forever. Lord, so guide us through your word this morning or this afternoon um, in all things that we consider, that we may know how to work wisely in this present age. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, um, indeed, the, um, we continue to look at these musings and thoughts of the preacher or the teacher who has come to his conclusions by observing, by looking at what what he could see, by um, carefully looking at life as he could see it under the sun. Again, that phrase, a refrain that has continued to recur throughout Ecclesiastes, just to remind us of the context in which the preacher is actually considering or making these considerations. So, we're in um, this chapter, and I, I, I said in the introduction that he takes us through this by beginning to look at how indeed we all are in God's hands. Uh, but specifically, at this point, he takes us by beginning to look at um, how righteous men, wise men, and their deeds, looking at verse 1 are in the hands of God. And man does not know whether it be love, hatred, or hatred that anything awaits him. This same thought is what he also concludes the section with. A similar thought. Only difference being, in verse 12, um, he helps us to see the suddenness and the indistinct manner in which death comes to us, in which death comes to men. Um, recent events in, in, 
in this in the UK. I mean, just go to show that. Um, with the with the with the tragic murder of um, Joe Cox, MP in in in, uh, in in broad daylight in the front, right in her constituency, while serving members of her constituency, just really heading to work, and there you go, taken. So, the preacher brings us to see that, um, well, two things, two thoughts here. Firstly, one in verse one, that the righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. And the second one, man does not know what awaits him. The second one reinforcing the first, really. The first being that righteous men and wise men and their deeds are in the hands of God. Think about this. He points something out and wants us to see and know, even though he's talking about things under the sun, that these men are in God's hands. I mean, whilst I was thinking about it, I thought, what's the best way of really illustrating this? I mean, and I actually put this down. And as, as it turns out, Naomi is in Richard's hands today. Um, and just think about Lily being in Tabitha's hands or barley loaves in Byron's hands. What does that mean? They're in, I mean, she's right there. She's kept from falling. He holds her. And she's there subject to what he, to his care, to his, to his comfort, to his provision for her. I mean, much as we men can freely choose our destinies and exercise our will, God has power over our lives. God has power over our lives. And still, the second thought, and this one is Easily the hardest one to accept. Man does not know whether it will be what awaits him. What is reinforced here? The preacher explains that um, men do not know what they will face. The options are not known to us what we will encounter. We're in God's hands all the same. We're still in God's care. But just like Joe Cox is in God's care. But still, did she have a choice? Did she plan to go to work and, well, today I'm just going to get this guy attack me and, and you know, take me down? She, if she didn't know what, what to expect on the, on the morning. Just like us, we don't know what faces us. We don't know what lies ahead of us this afternoon. So, and this is hard to accept it is hard to accept because when we look at how the hand of God is used in Scripture, even in general use, um, you get the sense of being subject to God's direction, God's leading. And what could this be? Being in God's hands and yet being subject to things we don't know. Ordinarily, we would like it to be, and, and we have our narratives in our minds, I'm a child of God. So, you hear those, those kinds of confessions. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. 
It is well with me. I am blessed and highly favored. So those are the narratives we have constructed for ourselves of how we would like to be in God's hands. Things should work out well all the time. If there is a plum job and I've got all the criteria and I fit the bill, the job should come to me. It should be how I want. I don't think that's what Joseph imagined when he found himself, Scripture says, <laughs> he found himself sold to slavery. He found himself sold to slavery. He found himself um, in Potiphar's house. He found himself sold by his brothers. If you're born into a family and you're receiving God's care in there, the last thing you expect is that your family would or your brothers would take you, bundle you, sell you into slavery, and tell dad, whew, don't know what happened, man. Some coyotes or whatever, wild animals must have got him. Was Joseph in God's hands? Was he in God's care? Did he receive God's favor? Scripture says he did. In fact, his master saw, wow, the guy who bought him as a slave saw, look, everything this guy just looks after works out well. It's probably not the narrative Joseph would have chosen for himself. But look, he was in God's hands. He did not know or expect that that's what would come to him. You see, um, <laughs> Moses describes God's caring hands for us as he says that, you know, God loves his people. He provided manna for them. Um, he, in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 3 rather, Moses describes God's care for the children of Israel um, as they were all in the hand of God and, God fo and they followed him. It says in Deuteronomy 33, verse 3, that yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hand. So they followed in your steps, receiving direction from you. And of course, we know the things that they enjoyed. Manna from heaven, protection, victories in battle, literally guiding them from day, day and night on their journeys and providing leadership for them. So, um, just quickly moving on past this point. I think the point is, is, is made and clear here. I hope so. Does everybody, did everybody get that? We're in, we are in God's hands, just like um, the, the preacher is saying. Now, what the, um, when you look back in your Bibles, what's caused the preacher to bring this point up? If you go at the end of chapter 8, we'll see what concerns the preacher here. He says there is futility which is done on earth, that, that, that there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. Um, on the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this too is futility. Um, 
When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which, was, which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, it goes on to say, I saw every work of God. And I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. What's the, what's the, what, let me put it in other words. What's he saying here? You're trying to figure out how life works. You're trying to figure out, well, look, here's a criminal. Here's someone who's committed an offense. Um, here's someone who's, who's done wrong. And yes, it should be that this person is convicted, tried, convicted, sentenced, and received due judgment. But he's finding out that life doesn't quite work like that. It's one of those things that we just, that leaves us kind of like, ah, okay, why is this happening, God? Why is this happening? Let me um, make some remarks here. And I want to say this here with, it's pointing out that, you know, I don't say this with reference to anyone here present, you know, unless we begin to make needless deductions. Um, but please let God speak to you directly. And, and um, um, you know, unless you have a, a burden that God's given you on your heart to be a comfort to, to others, then feel free. Uh, to, 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 to apply this to anyone else but yourself. But consider this. We easily suppose that in the face of very difficult loss and tragedy that God cannot or should not have allowed the tragedy happen. My heart is quite heavy as I look at how we deal with this. I mean, do we avoid tragedy because we're righteous? Think about it. I, I already cited an instance of where we might think, well, I'm the best candidate for this role, so I must get it. I've, I've made the best quote for this contract, so it's going to be mine. But truth be told, just like the preacher is, just like the preacher's audience and those who he's speaking to, um, I'm conscious of the fact that we may be going through things where we ask God, why? God, why have you let this happen to me? Or this should not have happened to our son or daughter. You know, this person was doing quite well and showed no signs of anything being amiss. We bring our simple reasoning to how we suppose things should work. So just like the guys who this preacher is writing to, we can easily find ourselves in the same or similar situations, dealing with perplexing and perplexing things, things that just really confound us and leave us clueless about how God makes things work. But rest assured, it's important that in these times, um, we know and hold on to our relationship with God. It's important at these times that we 
consider and trust God with our lives. There is every temptation to, to scheme when we face difficult trials and not to trust God on the one hand. And the, on the other hand, just to pretend like the reality of our situation is only a phantom. The kind of thing you might hear from some in our time who would say, you know, if you're having a headache, don't make a confession of it. Because you'd probably be giving control over to the devil. <laughs> or, or, you know, how about acknowledging the hand of God upon our lives? Even when it is mighty, even when it is heavy, not only when it is protective, not only when it is bountiful or caring, but at all times providing help, providing comfort, and even at times providing chastisement for us as well. We are in God's hands. There are times where, where children don't want to go to the parents because... <laughs> Oh, gosh. We know what those hands are probably going to do. However, the parent continues to care. God continues to care for us. Um, listen to this. The good news is that Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. According to his purpose. He's reinforcing the thought that it's not the righteous man who directs his own course, but God does through everything he encounters. Whether it's good or whether it is evil. Quickly moving on. The preacher tells us that, huh, verse 2, it is the same for all. There is one fate. And look at the contrast he makes. <laughs> for the righteous and for the wicked. For the good man, for the clean, for the unclean. For the one who offers sacrifices, for the one who doesn't. You get the point. The same fate. The same fate for all. And this is, again, under the sun. In life... Guess what? Everyone dies. That's the point he comes to make at the end of verse 3. There is an evil that is done to the sun. That there is one fate for all men. Every one of us here present, if Jesus tarries, will one day experience death. True? It's a very hushed year. True? It's probably something we don't want to con contemplate or consider. And hey, I'm with you on that. <laughs> the main idea here is that there is one fate for all. Be you righteous or wicked, good, clean or unclean. One who offers sacrifices and one who doesn't. Despite the moral and spiritual contrasts, but regardless of where you are or where you may be on that spectrum, the same fate befalls you. Um, what is this one fate? He's already said, afterward they go to the dead. Now, how come? Why is there no distinction? 
God applied the punishment of death for sin on man disobeying God right at the beginning. In Genesis 3.19, read of God coming into the garden and talking to uh, Adam. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Does that sound like death to you? And it's still continuing. Like the preacher, looking around, we see death far and near to us in many different ways. And we would naturally yearn for redemption in some form or another. We don't want death. We don't. We definitely don't. I mean, look from January right till now. Just to mention a few celebrities, popular people who've died. David Bowie, Terry Wogan, Ronnie Corbett, most recently Joe Cox, Muhammad Ali. You see, whether it is a death of believers or uh, of other believers or our own death, how do we deal with this? Denying the grief of death is somewhat futile. And it's, it's really failing to see the need for redemption from such a serious penalty. It's a penalty, you know. It's not something that God, when he created the world, said to Adam and Eve, yeah, go on, eat of the trees freely and then I'll come see you just before you die. He never introduced death right there. But um, it is... The, the, it, it, is a, it's just, it is a penalty of disobedience to God. The thought that this life is all there is to live is possibly a very dangerous one to adopt. It removes any thought of being accountable to God. And even consequently, <laughs> it could also remove the thoughts of even love for our neighbors and any notions that derive from God. I mean, I was pleased to hear recently that the um, British Medical Association voted overwhelmingly to stand in, in opposition to assisted dying. Something which uh, the British Humanist Association, people who just believe there is no need for God, are pushing for. It's a cause they stand behind and say, yes, there must be assisted dying. Because they don't believe there is anything to do with, there's anything after we die. Well, imagine what your life would be now without any regard for God. Just responding to the reality of death. And imagine that death um, is something that we don't look for any redemption from. But see this as well. In response to this truth, that is the truth that death is something that happens to all of us. Remember this. Death is only a final outcome of living in a fallen world. It's the same fate for one and all. It's only the final outcome of living in this world. It's not a punishment as such. 
God introduced that penalty, but now in Christ, what do we have? What do we have? We have God giving to us now the fact that um, there is now no more any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's now no more condemnation. So, the preacher continues in verse 4, saying that, and this is a thought he carries on right through verse 4 to 6, because he's thinking now about, with, with the fact that everyone dies, regardless of their, 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 their stand, whether they're, they're upright or otherwise, he makes a valid, <laughs> a valid point. That it is better to be alive than to be dead. Just bearing in mind that everyone dies. He makes a comparison, a contrast. It is better to be alive than to be dead. The preacher is really presenting what life looks like without any prospect or hope of life afterward. It sounds right, doesn't it? But death still reigns. And he doesn't see even the powerful or mighty rise from death again. For us, we still suffer death. Um, and truly, we have questions in our mind that need answers. Existentialists do argue that this is the end, as I've already mentioned. They make bold statements about it. And once death is taking place, what's there to hope for? What can you count on once you've died? Well, how do we respond? We see, even from this passage of scripture, that, hey, you know what? There is more to, um, there is more to, to life than what, than what we see. Even though life is just, looks like it just finishes here and now, and it's better to be alive than dead. But there is more than this. Because um, in response to this point that the, that the preacher just makes, we cons- I considered First Peter chapter 1 and verse, and verse 3. Um, you can turn there if you will, or just for those of you taking notes, take notes. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy... His cause was to be born again to a living hope, a living hope. Whereas the, 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 the preacher makes comparison between the living and the dead, even a living dog, a despicable, despicable creature in, in Jewish culture, uh, in Jewish society, being better than a dead lion, we are um, ushered and told now in the gospel, beyond the preacher's time, of a living hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Um, but continuing the thought, the preacher makes the point that, look, the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward? Because we soon forget about them as well. Listening to the preacher, we 
see and um, acknowledge this fact. Just like I posed the question a few minutes ago, we know we all will die someday if Jesus tarries under the sun. All right? Don't despair. It's not all gloom and doom here. But what concerns us here? Um, And how do we respond to this? I've already mentioned earlier on that death entered into the world on account of sin. And likewise, even being separated from God. Um, What do we have for us now while alive to show us what sin has done? The same as these people in the text, we also still see death at work. There are many ways in which we try to combat death that I can think of. Speed limits, control of firearms, um, control of substances hazardous to health. All kinds of things. But you know what these things do? They just prolong our days on earth, but ultimately, death is inevitable still. Whatever way it is deployed, death is unnatural. But you see, God from the beginning points out why there is death. And um, indeed, in, in God pointing these things out, it's really just him showing us favor, showing us kindness, showing us mercy, how death comes about. But you see, we also now have the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to us. And in this way, God is particularly gracious to those of us who are alive. So that now while we hear this gospel preached, while we hear passages like um, citing Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now we hear this, we particularly... um, Delighted because God indeed in that way shows us grace, shows us favor, shows us mercy uh, in that he's looking for us not to perish but have eternal life. Not just a life that, is, that ends here and now. So it's an invitation at this stage to claim God's provision in Christ. I throw some questions out here. Should we fear dying? Not necessarily looking for an answer. We can talk about it on Thursday. But since God, since we, in flesh and blood, we experience death. Guess what God's done in Christ? Uh, We read in Hebrews 2.14 that he, that God or Jesus Christ took part of the same things. Can you think about it? Jesus Christ took on our nature that he might taste death and that he might so doing destroy death and deliver all those like you and me who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I asked a question earlier. Is anybody, is anybody here? Is everybody here going to die? It was kind of like we didn't want to confess it that we were going to die. (laughs) But we can confidently. Yeah, even if we die, it is gain. 
we can confidently tell it, yes. We may, in the body, but hey, we'll live in Christ. But time will not permit me to take us deep into this. But you see, of the dead we know, even just in life. And I think the point is made that the, the preacher describes the state of those who are dead. But now, while we are alive and in the hands of God, what should we then do? How should we then live? I asked a question at the beginning of uh, the introduction. And he makes so many wonderful um, um, instructions for us here. Go then, verse 7, eat your bread in happiness. Drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Why? Because God has already approved your works. God's already approved these for you. Let your clothes be white all the time. In verses 7 to 10, he basically highlights things that God has already given for us to do and be busy with and to enjoy. <laughs> Thinking about this, I just kind of find myself, uh, I find myself a bit amused because my wife and my sister sometimes accuse me, look, you just don't know how to enjoy yourself. You just don't know how to enjoy life. There's a project we go on the cards to just spontaneously one day just call ourselves and say, let's go somewhere. Let's go to, and some, something outrageous. Let's go to wherever. <laughs> and I might just, and, <laughs> and such talk scares me because already I'm thinking about the cost. I'm like, gosh, this is too much. We can't, we can't do this. You know? Some of you would, might know that I'm particularly interested in moving on to how we may put this in proper perspective. You know, living the life that God has given us to the full. Um, some of you may know, I mean, I'm particularly concerned and I have a burden on my heart for... Christians, believers. I don't know why. It's not like it's not like I don't care for this for this country or believers here, but believers in my home country. <laughs> I cannot stand the kind of stuff that believers are just fed and watch it continue in the name of the gospel. I want to spend my time and my, and my effort bringing about change to that. So, and in so doing, enjoying and spending the time that God has given me in this short and fleeting life, serving God. One of the, uh, the uh, is it the Westminster short catechism uh, cat that says the purpose of the chief purpose of man is to is to glorify God and enjoy Him forevermore. I want to spend my time enjoying the things that God has given me to do as a believer. Um, and 
thinking about all these things that, 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 that um, God has, has outlined here, which look like you only live once, so have a blast. Enjoy this, enjoy that. It, it doesn't mean going to the extremes. It doesn't mean, you know, knock yourself out with an OD of some substance. We, we, we've seen lives like that, which regretfully just go to waste. Not necessarily glorifying God. But, hey, Jesus gives us a better perspective so that we don't have to live under the sun. Um, let me bring us to this and, and let's, let's consider this as we, as we begin to, to approach, as we begin to round up. Um, how should we respond to the, to the truth of this text in verses 7 to 10. Our time here on earth is limited also. I'm hopping that point again because it's, it's, it's what the preacher is talking about. Our time is limited. How do we spend it? How do we spend it? We can enjoy life with the things that God has given to us. Yes, they're for enjoyment. There's, I mean, if you can't enjoy life, it's like saying God... <laughs> You shouldn't have given me, you shouldn't have given me this pleasure or this delight or clothes to put on my body. You know, imagine you buy yourself a whole new wardrobe of clothes and leave it there, waiting for a special day to to, to bounce out in them things. Hey, <laughs> if you drop today or tomorrow, somebody else will take those things and put them on. <laughs> you know what I mean? But. Thinking about this, while we're alive on the, on, on, uh, under the sun, look, let's enjoy the things that God has given us to do. And then also the things that he lists, that he, um, the things that he gives us to do, even for him. Remember at the, at the start of this, the, the preacher points out that we are all in God's hands. We are in God's hands. Let's trust God and stay there in God's hands. As we decide to live for him. Um, Timothy, Paul in, instructs Timothy in his first epistle to Timothy. In chapter 6 and verse seven, 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. Not to be considered or to fix their hope. On the uncertainty of riches. But on God. On God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Indeed. And the over-the-sun perspective that God gives, that Jesus Christ gives to us. Turn with me, please. Let's just read this together. I want us to have a look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse 19. Um, reading in the New American, it says, If we have hoped in Christ in this life only we are of all men most to be pitied. We're of all men most to be pitied. This is Paul the Apostle describing or making a, a bold defense for the, for the gospel and the resurrection. And using his own life as an example, he goes on further to ask questions. Why are we also in danger every hour? Verse 30. I affirm my brethren... By the boasting in, which y in, in you which I have in Christ Jesus 
our Lord, I die daily. And the kind of things that guy went through just to preach the gospel, just to teach the churches. If from human motives, he carries on in verse 32, I believe. I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. What does it profit me? If you've read through Paul's letters in, 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 um, in, the, gospel, in the New Testament, you will see the guy talks about having survived shipwreck in the Acts of the Apostles. He's floating on pieces of, of wood to, to get to land. He gets, he gets to land and then a viper calls around his hand and shakes it off. People say, man, you're cursed. The guy spends time indeed, ends up preaching to them people again, committing his life and living his short and fleeting life, which he's entrusted to Christ in service of Christ. You see, there is a confidence or something that Paul relies upon rather than his own energies rather than his own motives, rather than what he has in himself. I guess the guy recognizes as he writes to the Ephesians that we are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10. We're created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, and we should walk in them. So, guess what? He comes back to conclude again, the preacher. Having point, pointed out to us how he's described the state of the dead already. He's described what we can actually spend our lifetimes doing while we're alive. In this short and fleeting life. Still remaining in God's hands. He comes to conclude again on the same point on which he started. I, I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. And the battle is not to the warriors, and neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to the men of ability, for time and chance overtake them all. Um, don't want to beat um, the, the example, the instance I've been using re of, of recent events, but it would seem like this guy was there at Daegu in 2011, when Usain Bolt made a false start. I think it was the Commonwealth Games or some athletic meet. You would expect that Usain Bolt, and that time I think he was on the front cover of something, the fastest man in the world. 100 meters, you expect this guy was going to win. There's no question about it. And before the gun went, he was off the blocks. <laughs> Usain Bolt was disqualified. He didn't win that race. Kind of like, what's this guy saying here? Was he overconfident? Was he relying on himself? It's not saying we shouldn't employ the means we have. We may be gifted. We may be able. We may have wealth to do great things for God. But you know what? Life is so fleeting. It comes back to that point again. Life is fleeting. I know the last time we went to a fish and chip shop, that fish wasn't expecting to be in your, <laughs> in your portion of chips. <laughs> Probably went on an errand, but didn't come back like Nemo. <laughs> but check it. 
Life is fleeting. It is indeed fleeting. And how better can we spend it trusting, committing ourselves to the grace of God, committing ourselves to live in God's hands by God's grace in such a fleeting and passing world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Showing us indeed that there is more to life than meets the eye. Showing us indeed that your grace abounds and it goes beyond life as we know it. Showing us that there is a lot to hope for more than what we can see. That though fleeting, though passing, we can entrust ourselves to you. Not afraid of what life brings because we're in your safe and caring and loving hands. Lord, I just pray, let the truth of your word here be established in our hearts. Let the grace of Jesus Christ be so apparent, even against the backdrop of these accounts that the preacher brings to us. We thank you again, Lord, even for all these things. In Jesus' name. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.